Hey there, everybody. This is Tom Salemi, host of the MedTech Talk podcast. Thanks for joining us. MedTech Talk is, of course, the only podcast affiliated with the MedTech Conference. Go to medtechconference.com. Find out the latest that we'll have. It'll be on June 1st in Minneapolis. And I'm happy to have one of our speakers or facilitators uh, on the show today, Tom Gunderson, who is now a retired analyst from Piper Jaffray. He was at Piper Jaffray for over 20 years, joined there in 1992. Tom will be heading our What It Takes to Win in MedTech panel, which is a panel of four um, really exceptional CEOs, uh, Andrew Cleveland, uh, Michael Ackerman, Keith Grossman, and Mike Demain. They'll all be there to talk about their various successes in MedTech. And Tom Gunderson will be there to lead that conversation. So, so happy to have him involved in the MedTech conference and in, involved in this podcast. So Tom and I talked a bit about MedTech today, uh, how it's changed. Uh, he presents a, uh, a great point of view on the uh, dearth of early stage financing and what impact it's having on innovation. So let's just get into this conversation with Tom Gunderson, formerly of Piper Jaffray. All right, Tom Gunderson, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here and to have your, your perspective on, on so many issues in, in medtech. Uh, I mean, the, the, the sector is going through uh, many, many changes. And one of the things we discuss frequently at the medtech conferences, and, and most people do, is, the, is the, the impact of the decline of early stage VC funding. And uh, what the, the question has always been, is this impacting innovation? Are we seeing fewer great ideas? Uh, and fewer additions to R to R and D, both through strategic acquisition, but I guess through corporate pipelines as well. Big pipelines of big strategics. We look at it from the from the beginning of the road and look down the road and try to see what the impact has been from the decline of early stage financing. You have the perspective of being closer to the end of the road and seeing what is coming out in the market. What impact has what has been the impact of the decline in early stage financing been in, in your opinion? So I'm not sure that we've seen it uh, have its full or peak impact yet, but I agree with your overall thesis. The way I look at it from a buyer's um, standpoint, whether those buyers are institutional investors doing an IPO or it's a strategic uh, mid-tech company um, buying up one of the little ones is eventually uh, the good startup companies, and, and there's exceptions to this, but eventually the good startup companies do get acquired by the larger strategics, whether that's a Medtronic or a Boston Scientific or an Edwards or whomever. Uh, it's one of those big guys. And I also would make the argument that over the years, um, the true innovation, um, not R&D, but the D, the development part, um, the risk-taking, uh, the coming up with the new, better, faster, cooler, uh, has been coming more from those startup companies and from the VC financing. And it's almost like they're the farm teams uh, for the major leagues. And those strategic um, medtech companies, um, you know, play in the big leagues. They have the worldwide distribution. They have all the regulatory kinds of things that you need in place. and um, manufacturing in, in uh, various parts around the world. But when it comes to the innovation part, the speed is important. And that's where the little guys um, and the venture-backed companies 
have done so well. So if you take that away from the equation, I think we have, um, I think the companies that were funded, remained funded over the last few years are coming to fruition now. And we had a good IPO um, window over 2012 to 2015, um, where a number of those companies went public um, and helped their VC investors. But going forward, I see a drought here. I've um, bad analogy, but I've compared it to post World War One in England. Is that you wiped out a generation of young men, uh, and it took another generation to get back up and on their feet and and kind of get back to normal demographics. We may have a long drought here, not just because there's nothing new coming in two or three years, but because, like you say, it's not being funded today. And if it takes five to seven years to get up to commercial revenues, we may have a long period where um, it's, it's slim pickings. It won't be completely zero, but it's, it's in my opinion, going to be uh, long and and not not too many new innovations coming. From my standpoint as an ex cell side analyst, what does that mean? That means that we're going to be looking at things other than new product innovation that drives the growth in the stock prices uh, at some of these larger companies. Is that what else is there if you don't develop a new line of products? Is it more just a, a change in pricing or? Is it the move towards services or, or solutions rather that we're seeing from the Medtronic kind of an overall transition of the of the medtech business? Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole another uh, uh, podcast on um, on on how medtech follows pharma, but I think we're taking a look at you know you mentioned Medtronic. Well, one of the things that's going on separate from the IPO side is Medtronic, obviously. A year and three months ago, uh, finalized their deal with Covidian in basically uh, what I would call a go big or go home kind of theme, throwing down the gauntlet and saying, all right, there's Medtronic now and there's J&J and the rest of you guys have to decide what you're going to do. Uh, and um, picking up little new technologies hasn't been what's been occupying their time right now. I would argue that it's looking at um, more combos similar to that one of Medtronic Covidian and, um, and, and getting the synergies, um, presumably, uh, from those uh, larger uh, entities and then at the same time um, addressing the fact that your customer, um, at least in many of the subspecialties, your customer is not the doctor anymore. So for a lot of what we were doing in the venture heyday of medtech was uh, a smart doctor and a smart engineer, and sometimes that was the same person and some VC money coming up with a solution to a problem that the doctor saw and then selling it to other doctors. And uh, the next thing you know, you have you know stents and drug-coated stents. On the other hand, um, today, I would argue that the customer is not so much the doctor, the customer is the hospital, and it's fast becoming uh, the third-party payer. 
So that that's interesting. So uh, on one hand, we're seeing a, a reduction in in in, uh, in capital going to early stage uh, the funding of ideas, but on top of that, we may just see a a, a, a diminishing appetite for innovative technologies as well because larger med techs are, are approaching the entire business differently is that is that correct that's um yes it is um that's that's kind of where i'm coming from and then the other is being in minneapolis i'm around a lot of med tech and i know a lot of med tech people and um to me it's um re um redesigning or reformulating the um, direction that the engineers go in. So if we use a car analogy, um, we're not trying to go zero to 60 in uh, five seconds instead of six seconds. Um, what we're trying to do is get better gas mileage. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not the cool technology anymore that grabs the high-tech physicians. Um, it's the, I don't, I hesitate to say low-tech, but I will, low-tech, um, less costly, maybe the same outcomes, but cost less, um, not only for the company making it, but also for the hospital using it and coming up with a total solution. You kind of alluded to this when you're talking about Medtronic and services, but coming up with a total solution that ne- isn't necessarily, you know, having a, um, having, having a, a smaller battery for uh, your ICD or a capacitor or a different kind of lead. It's it's um, lower cost and simpler. Uh, that I think the the engineering uh, group as a whole needs to um, be more focused on. So let's talk about the, the the solutions movement, if we can call it that. I mean, I think in, in the eyes of some. Medtronic is sort of out on the front and maybe on an island with this idea. But is it is there a broader acceptance of the solutions approach by other big medtech players, or is there still sort of skepticism that this is just a something to a, a, a label to apply to medtech today and nothing much more than that? I uh, if, if I see it as um, something that is. You know, I see it as something distant um, and not happening. Gee, here's the day that now we have solutions-based med tech. I see it coming in tiny steps, uh, a degree at a time, until we actually get to a boil. And maybe that takes five, six, seven years, but I do see it coming. As to whether other companies are doing this or not, some claim publicly that it's not a big deal and that there's, you know, I'm thinking more not solutions in my Head, I'm translating that to bundling and bundled payments. But if you look at that, um, clearly, uh, it, it to me, it is something that benefits the payer, and the payers are getting more and more control. And so I see it as almost inevitable um, whether companies are talking about it out loud to the media or to Wall Street. Um, I can't say um, how much they're really doing behind the scenes, but I would think the smart companies are having these discussions. That's fascinating. Because at the beginning, again, it sounded as if we had a problem that needed to be fixed, that we needed to find a way to to regain or, or to, to, to uh, uh, rebuild the innovation structure. But 
there may not even be a, a, as great a demand for that as there had been in the past. That's it's a little bit scary thought, I guess. It is, um, and I'm somewhat, you know, my example for that is uh, the single uh, finger stick glucose meter, where two years ago CMS decided to pay half of the going price for that that they had been paying for. And all of a sudden, the margins for people doing those glucose meters got cut significantly. The earnings that come from that got cut significantly. And I told my friends, go to the drugstore and take a look at the glucose meters on the shelf, because that's the best you're ever going to see. You're going to see cheaper ones. You're not going to see better ones. But it's a pretty good glucose meter that Mm -hmm. we have in 2016. It's just not going to be a whole lot different than the one in 2017 or 2018. The one the element that's sort of mixing things up a bit is the, is the movement of the, the Googles and the Apples, at least kind of talking about healthcare and, and well, creating entities based on healthcare too, not just talking. Do you see that, um, I guess, adding new fuel to innovation in medtech, or is it, uh, is it just uh, another type of business entirely? Um, maybe a little of both. I've been watching this for... Um, five or six years now, and it's one of those one of those ideas that's out there um, and will continue. But I still think it needs what I would call um, I don't know. Depending upon what your what one's background is, either it's uh, Epigen moment or it's iTunes moment. But there was a lot of talk a couple of decades ago about all this fun technology with biotechnology, right? But nobody really was commercially successful until you got that first one out there. Amgen gets the first one out there. It's a big hit, and the rest is history, right? We've got this gigantic industry now in in biotech and and lots of commercial products. Same thing with MP3 players. You had a lot of MP3 players out there, but nobody really put it together uh, to make it um, a big winner. Until, you know, yes, the iPod was kind of a cool MP3 player, but still not that big of an innovation, in my opinion. The innovation was having iTunes go along with it. I think, to get to the point, I think that um, the consumer electronics, if you will, and I've been going to the consumer electronics show the last couple of years, I think that technology coupled with healthcare, and in particular med tech, could be a gigantic business in the future. It needs its iTunes moment because, you know, how many, I have a Fitbit, I like Fitbit, but um, there's 20 other ones that are just like it, and counting my steps and my stairs just isn't going to add to the overall cost lowering the cost or bending the curve of healthcare, and we need to get beyond that and have combo products. I did a um, panel a couple of years ago and had uh, somebody from X of Microsoft, because the current one wouldn't obviously talk publicly, but X of Microsoft, and I asked them, you know, tell what do you think about um, combining what a Google or a Facebook or a Microsoft could do com- with um, with MedTech. And his view was that there are two totally different mentalities, that in MedTech, you're designing a product that 
is absolutely has to work and has to work consistently over a long period of time over um, its production. And if you make a mistake, there can be dire consequences, the worst of which obviously would be death. But I mean, even some of these um, major recalls um, have patient consequences, but they also have financial consequences as well. Whereas on the consumer side, it's speed, speed, speed. Go as fast as you can, get it out there. If you're first, great. If you made any mistakes, then fix it in 2.0 or or um, 2.5 and just keep iterating until you're ready for the next technology. And taking the speedy, fix it on the fly kind of guys with the get it right the first time, make it through the FDA, make sure somebody will pay for it and hope that um, you don't have to do a recall anytime in the first five years. Um, those two mentalities are so different that he was suspect of how the two could get together. I asked him how they could, and he said, in his opinion, and I, I kind of adopt this myself, is we need a third type of person that can bridge that. The med tech companies aren't going to do particularly well with consumer. Consumer guys aren't going to do particularly well with med tech, although they do have um, a good bankroll to, to fund it. Um, but we, you see Google matching up with J&J. If you get the right people uh, in that kind of, of organization, then maybe, yeah, maybe over the next four or five years. But clearly, um, the kinds of technology that we've seen in just about other, every other aspect of our lives needs to get into the healthcare part of it, too. Hi, everybody. Tom here. Just a reminder, go to medtechconference.com. Get updates on our agenda and sign up for our weekly newsletter, the MedTech Talk. You can do that all at medtechconference.com. Now back to this conversation. Uh, well, let's uh, let's provide some some hopeful uh, insights for for people for entrepreneurs in medtech. Do you see some market segments or disease states or technologies that for medtech startups would really present some opportunities uh, in the coming years? Yeah, we uh, yes, and I, I don't mean to take away from those startups. I think there's a lot of good things that can be done. But instead of uh, starting off with "here's a cool technology, let's see if it works," um, you have to start with a "here's a cool technology, let's see who's going to pay for it." Um, and the venture guys know that that's mm -hmm. become part of their their um, screening. But the areas that I look at, and I'm not going to be able to say, here's the three top areas. Let's, we could go talk to Cigna or United Health to find out those. Um, the are maybe areas outside of cardio. Um, there's a lot. Remember, I'm taking the bias here as I'm calling from a cardio town. But there's a lot of smart people that have been going after the um, cardiovascular technologies, the catheters and uh, the valves and the electronics that make up all of those cardio med tech companies and a lot of competition. Are we there completely? Everything's fine? No, but um, uh, maybe some of the other areas uh, can use that technology or that brain power uh, to get devices of their own. Before I leave cardiology, however, you have to pay homage to 
uh, Edwards and Medtronic core valve as far as percutaneous aortic valves, um, valve replacement from the standpoint of, at least in my career, even if you inflation adjust this, going from uh, zero to $2 billion in uh, commercial sales and um, having two companies split that with tremendous margins and continued uptake um, gets a lot of investors uh, excited as to what's next from, you know, what ne what's next seems to be mitral valve replacement and repair. And then since that has a number of players already um, going after what's next after that, and you go after tricuspid and it keeps going that way. So from a valving standpoint, yeah, when there's a big splash, there's a lot of little ripples and, and people pay attention to that. And I don't think that's played out yet. I, th I think we'll see winners and losers over the next um, four or five years in that space. Outside of cardio, um, I've got a company here. There's one, uh, two actually on the West Coast that are dealing with chronic sinusitis. I've never had the problem. I know people that have, but it's a gigantic uh, market out there that has, in many cases, poor solutions for not the not the acute once a year, once every two or three years, but the people who suffer from this chronically. And taking balloon and stent technology and applying it to the sinuses has been tremendously successful for these companies. And I think there's more opportunities like that in areas where we can take the technology uh, and apply it uh, to other specialties. And uh, I've, I've used balloons and stents as an example. If we take another cardio technology of pacemaking or ICDs, neurostim um, away from the heart, then I think there's lots and lots of opportunity to understand what's going on with the neurosystem that can affect everything from arthritis, like Setpoint is doing, to hypertension, to um, uh, you've got cyberonics and, and others working on epilepsy. There's, there's a lot that could present itself there as we learn more about what's going on with the neurosystem. So I'll take a breath there and just say, yeah, there's lots of opportunity. It's just um, unclear, as it should be or is. Um, at this point, where 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 we're headed, is there now that you're you're you don't have to be uh, hold your cards so close to the your your chest now. Is there a, a larger strategic player, a larger med tech company that is head and heads and shoulders above the rest in uh, developing new innovative ideas? Oh, that's an excellent question, Tom. Um, but I don't know if I have uh, an answer to that. If there's somebody that's head and shoulders um, above everybody else, um, they're not bragging about it. Um, <laughs> there may be some things going on, but uh, I have to tell you that from my bias, it's still the little guys that are doing um, more of that innovation. And there's a myriad of reasons why that happens, but it's the world that um, we live in, or at least I live in here in 
Minnesota and you've got in Silicon Valley and Orange County, Boston, et cetera. Um, I, I just think the, the, the smart money, the smart people uh, and the cool ideas, even if they start as an embryo in one of the big companies, um, move to being at a um, startup where you can where you can move a little faster and also get the fruits of your uh, of your work a little bit um, more emphatically. So um, large company. No, I'd go the other way, Tom. And yeah, now that I don't have to hold the cards so close to my vest, I'd say that a lot of R&D is not so much about developing new products. It's about developing product line imp- or product improvements and maybe product line extensions. And it's about supporting the dollars that I see on the R&D line as on the income statement. It's about supporting um, all the regulations that companies have to follow in the U.S. and around the world. Um, but the real, the real development, the cool stuff, I don't see a whole lot of that coming out of, out of uh, the big companies. I see it coming out of the little companies. That's, that's music to the ears of the folks listening to this podcast. But as, as great as uh, strategic acquisition is for them, obviously a, a viable IPO market for startup type companies, not early stage, but those that are beginning to get commercial or close to it would be, uh, would be really welcome and would really uh, feed the, the sector. Is that, are we going to see sort of a viable IPO market, a sustainable one, not constantly, but is the, is the market changed so much that it's going to be really difficult to take companies public at all in the future? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, we're in a we're in a the beginning of a valley right now. We just had, you know, prior to 2012, we probably had a three year gap uh, where I think we did one or two IPOs in in med tech land, and then since uh, 2012 to 2015, we probably did uh, five to ten a year. And now we're into 2016, and not just medtech, but the whole IPO world. I think the first one that's been done this year was done this morning um, or last night, and and out and that was in the finance area. But IPOs have just dried up. It's not what institutional investors are looking for right now, and they will continue to try to beat their peers at other funds so that they can gain more funds so that they can continue to try and beat their peers by outperforming in other ways other than playing IPOs. But that goes in cycles as far as I've seen over the last couple of decades where um, we'll be back into another hot IPO window at some point in the future. And, and those people who stuck it out and, and continued to fund those companies that could get to commercial viability uh, at, at some point in the future are, are going to reap the rewards of that. But if we don't have that early stage support to build these companies uh, in the future, do you think there'll be a, a supply of companies that can go public in MedTech? Um, there will be a smaller supply. And if I remember my economics, uh, uh, the demand um, on that smaller supply will drive the prices up. So mm-hmm. it may not be as many IPOs, but it may be more profitable IPO for the right companies. And then the other thing that we have to think of is if we're looking off into 
the future is, are we just talking about the U.S. market and the going public in the U.S., or are we talking about other markets around the world where, over time, that may prove to be the next frontier for um, med tech uh, innovation? That's a great point. Final question. You, you've been uh, been in a, covering the sector for over 20 years. Uh, how much has things changed since you started? Was it in 92 that you joined Piper? Uh, it is. How, how much have things changed? And uh, is, is, the, is the, 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 the industry even recognizable to what it was back in, in, the, in the 90s? <laughs> um, are any of us recognizable? To what <laughs> That's a good point. The 90s? Um, the, um, no, you can see it because you saw it, in, you saw it in steps. So you can kind of repeat the history of, of where you got. It was much... We didn't know it at the time. We didn't know it was simple and easy. It seemed hard. It seemed like you had to work and lift and do all these things. But in comparison to where it is today, uh, it's much more difficult for your team wants to be on the venture-backed smaller companies. It's much, it's much more difficult for those guys today. I remember um, going to a panel meeting back in the early 90s for a device, and at the beginning of the panel meeting, um, one of the panelists standing up um, and saying, hey, I went through the data, it looks like it works, and it didn't kill anybody, I vote we approve it. Um, <laughs> and they'd done that on, uh, the device had been used in the clinical trials on 12 patients, and it got approved. Um, and then you go out beyond that and you have to figure out distribution, you have to figure out price, and you have to figure out competition, but the technology actually got out there. Um, that, as you know, and as everybody listening to this, doesn't happen anymore, but it's not just the regulatory part that has um, become more onerous. It's also um, the reimbursement part. Who's going to pay for it? When are they going to pay for it? How much are they going to pay for it? It's the contracting with hospitals that has gotten much more complex. And then it's just even a sales rep getting into a hospital to show a new technology and getting that accepted sometime in the first two years after FDA approval. So all of those things, um, none of which happened overnight, but just sort of we warmed up degree by degree to this boil that we're at today, um, have made it harder. But making it harder, in my view, has just made it also um, from uh, more rewarding if you make it through there. It, it's, you know, we used to say this about FDA. You can say this about the whole process now is, yes, it's onerous. Yes, it's complex. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's expensive. But once I've done it, then all my competitors have to do it too, and I can see them coming for years. That's a great point. And, and one of the unfortunate changes will be your your diminished involvement in medtech. I'll miss seeing you at the uh, the Piper Analyst Breakfast meeting in uh, New York in December. What what are your plans? Are you uh, you going to be involved with healthcare and medtech in one way or the other? I'll be involved in one way or another. I've only been out of the uh, analyst job for a month, and um, too soon to say. But um, I'll um, 
even if even if it's just for um, the devices that I need for myself, um, I'll stay involved <laughs> some way. Good. I, I hope we hear your voice uh, often. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Thanks, Tom. Well, thanks so much, Tom Gunderson, for joining us today and for joining us at the MedTech Conference. It's going to be an exceptional panel. Can't wait to hear more from those four exceptional CEOs and from Tom himself, who has done uh, so much for the MedTech industry. And thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to go to MedTechConference.com to register. It's on June 1st, the MedTech Conference, and it's at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel. So go to MedTechConference.com, sign up, and we will see you in Minneapolis. Minneapolis.